Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Aussies Only, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Aussies Only, the first serve's deeper look inside the game at home, talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Hello everyone and welcome to Aussies Only, a big edition of the show this week, all thanks to Latua Tennis. Get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game, just head over to latuatennis.com to buy their latest Dig 3 collection before it sells out. It's your host, Jed Zetzer here, and today we chat to Paul Hanley. Paul's a two-time Grand Slam finalist, a Commonwealth Games gold medalist. He reached the top five in the men's doubles rankings and was ranked inside the top 100 for a remarkable 13 years straight. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, the former pro, Jake Eames, to introduce Paul. Yeah, cheers, Jed. Um, Jed's excited about the chat today. I've got a list of his achievements, and if I spent time in the intro... To introduce him, it'd take all day. He had a career ranking, high ranking of five in the world, and I think that paints a lot of pictures. Paul Hanley, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, boys. Paul, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on and really looking forward to getting stuck into this one. You were born in Melbourne and your parents owned a tennis centre when you were young. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your childhood and some of your earliest tennis memories? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I had a uh, older brother and sister, and uh, they were very much involved in tennis. And so that's how sort of I got involved. Um, I used to just tag along when I was a little little fella. Actually, I was very into tennis at a at a quite a young age. From say from five to to ten, um, I was very much I uh, loved playing tennis um, and played it probably probably a little bit too much. And then actually from I think around eleven, I actually stopped. For about eight months, I stopped playing tennis and I was just enjoying playing all the other sports, AFL, cricket, soccer. And then um, fortunately for me, uh, my father bought, we, we went up for a holiday up to, uh, to Queensland uh, for the Brisbane Expo, 1988 Brisbane Expo. And uh, dad fell in love with the, with the state and, and he said to us right there and then, we're going to move up here next year. And, and lo and behold, he, he bought a tennis centre with uh, our house actually on the property as well. So it was very difficult for me then to, to not want to start playing tennis again um, because obviously, you know, there's, there's tennis courts in our front yard. So that's sort of how um, I got back involved playing tennis again. And uh, I was very fortunate to, um, for that to happen and, and to have a great career out of it. A lot of kids, I guess, are a product of their own environment. So it's incredible there to have a, a club in your backyard, that's amazing. When did you realize that you're actually good enough to make a career out of tennis? I think uh, there was a moment in high, in, uh, in high school, I just went to, to my local high school, and I remember this very clearly. Um, the vice principal, I used to, to go, I think, two or three times a week 
uh, in the morning for, for state squads up in Milton in the morning at 6, 6 a.m. And so I'd always run a little late to school and, and the principal knew that, you know, we had an agreement that, you know, I was, you know, maybe 15 minutes late to, to my first class and the vice principal, she maybe she was just having a bad day that day. I'm not sure. But um, as I signed into being late, she, she had a go at me and sort of said, look, what's more important to you, you know, tennis or schooling. And um, that was when I think I was probably around 15 that I realized that, hang on just a second, tennis is actually starting to, obviously schooling was very important too. And, you know, my, my parents were adamant that I had to finish uh, high school before I, you know, traveled overseas. But yeah, it was that, that was a, a big moment for me to realize, well, hang on, tennis is becoming quite a, a big factor in my life. So yeah, I remember that, that moment very clearly. Very interestingly to me, you know, as someone who, I guess, pushed up the, the pro rankings and, and didn't get through as high as I'd like, when was the point when you changed your focus to solely doubles? Because that's a really interesting, I guess, point in someone's career and how early they realised or, you know, if it was midway or what, what were the factors involved there making the decision? Yeah, look, it was tough. You know, I was... Um, obviously these days it's a little different you know I think some of the guys who play doubles now start a lot younger in making that decision for me I think I was around 26 27 so I was still playing singles and doubles at around 26 and it just got to a point where like you said you know my first doubles partner was was Nathan Healy and we were playing the, the challenger circuit so we were playing sometimes we were in main draws playing singles and doubles other times we were in qualifying in those challenge events and playing doubles as well. And then it got to a point where we were just doing, we were so consistent in the doubles, reaching finals and, and winning that we couldn't get to the next week to play qualifying. Mm. So it was, sort of, it was sort of then that we sort of had to make a choice. We had, we had no choice, to be honest. It was sort of one or the other a little bit. And then um, I think it was... I remember playing, I can't remember where it was. It may have been in Australia. We played Daniel Nesta and Mark Knowles one year and, and lost to them. And, and they were the number one pairing in the world at the time. Um, but it was quite a close match. And it was there that I realised, you know, hang on, you know, we've only just lost this and I'm not focusing yet fully on doubles. Perhaps there's, a, there's an avenue there that if I just, you know, really concentrate solely on on one aspect and not the singles and doubles that, um, you know, I could have a really good career in doubles. Yeah. So that match you mentioned was 2002 French Open. You made the quarterfinals. That was for you, I guess, the major breakthrough. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that period? Because that, you know, was a huge breakthrough and everything just went up from there. Did something click for you specifically around that time or was it just a build-up of consistency on the challenger circuit? Yeah, I, I think it just takes time. I, I think, was that with Ben Elwood or was that with Wayne Arthurs? That was with Wayne Arthurs. Right. So me and Wayne, I had to make a, a quite a difficult decision, actually, where, like I mentioned earlier, Nathan and I, Nathan Healy and I were, were, were playing a lot together. But I felt like for me to, to try and take that next level again, I had, there was a little dilemma where, I was based in Australia and I realized that for me to try and enhance my tennis career, I really needed to, to move overseas and base myself overseas. 
and there was a group there with Wayne Arthurs, Todd Larkham, and uh, my coach, Brent Larkham. And so that I had an opportunity to, to move overseas and train with, with those guys. And, and I knew I had to surround myself with, not to say Nathan was, was, was not someone who I, you know, he's a very good friend and, and trained very hard, but I knew in order for me to try and enhance myself, I had to sort of, you know, you are who you, who you hang around with a little bit. And I felt like I could work harder with Wayne and, and, and with Todd Larkham and have a base in London. So I had to make a decision there. And, and Brent Larkham sort of said to me, look, you know, if you come and move overseas and train with me, you know, Wayne Arthurs is, is wanting to play doubles with you. But it's either, it's either Nathan or, or Wayne. And I wanted to, to work with Brent Larkham because of the success that he was having with Wayne. And so it was a difficult uh, decision to make, but, but one that, um, you know, I, I think I had to make and, and it proved the right decision. Oh, yeah, definitely proved the right decision there. And it is crucial, I guess, in coaching now for me, it's crucial that the, the, the team environment or the right training environment is there for each player. At what age do you think it's crucial then for players to also maybe relocate overseas or is it necessary in today's game? That's a good question. I feel it's the, the competition overseas is it's a lot stronger. And I think it's something that, that as Australian tennis players, we really don't understand, unless you've been overseas and travelled, that travelling is a huge part of tennis. You know, And if you can't handle being overseas, going from country to country, week to week, then you're in the wrong sport. Mm. You know, you, you have to be able to you know, be away from family and friends for a long period of time. This is just Australian players I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we're just so far away. So that is a big, big factor in tennis is the ability to, you know, make sacrifices, be away from family and friends. You know, you're going to miss weddings. I miss funerals. You know, there are things that, that, I, that I had to sort of sacrifice a little more than others because of the fact that, you know, I, I, I was based in Australia and, and that was a big reason why I knew that if I wanted to enhance my career, I, I had to have a base or I had to really base myself overseas. Paul, that must have been tough for you living overseas and missing those things back at home. Were there ever moments where you maybe thought, you know, this isn't worth it or is it, is it worth missing all these special things that are happening back at home? Yes and no, but look, my father, my, my mother, you know, my family are very big supporters of me. And, you know, when those sort of occasions arose, you know, dad and, and mum would say, no, look, you know, they would want you to keep playing and, you know, they want you to live out your, your dreams and your goals. So, you know, when, when your father and your mother say those sorts of things, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy decision to make. And like I said, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm sure they were proud of, of some of the things that I achieved. So that's the life of a tennis player. 100% agree there. Um, you mentioned Wayne Arthurs before and, and teaming up with him. Um, and obviously, great opportunity to start that and being under Brent Larkham as well there. You guys went on to make the semifinals at the French and the quarters at Wimbledon and the US Open. What made the partnership so good there for you too? I just felt we, we, we got on really well. I think our game style suited each other. Wayne had a, had a great serve. I was handy sort of at the net. 
you know, I would make a few more returns than Wayne, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> um, but we we just gelled, gelled well. We, we trained together every single day. So we knew each other's game. We knew each other's personalities. And we were very driven, I think, as a team too. You know, even though Wayne had a success, very successful singles career, you know, we, we had, a, had special goals that we wanted to achieve. And I think we set out some goals that we wanted to, to hit. You know, we, we reached a few of those goals, but, you know, obviously when, when two people are aligned and, and wanting to, to achieve something, you know, success is bound to happen. 100%. One thing that interests me as well is, is the semis at French Open, uh, especially, for, I guess, for Aussie players. How, how do you find playing doubles, you know, at that level on a clay court? Do you feel like as an, as an Aussie that you still have an advantage on the clay in a double situation? I think because I grew up, like you said, I grew up in Melbourne and, and played a lot on early days on Ondicard. I, yeah, I quite okay. enjoyed, it's quite unusual, my, early in my career, some of my best results were actually on clay. When if you look at my style, you know, I didn't have a big serve. I, I wasn't a powerful player, but um, yeah, I had a lot of success, especially very early on. And, and maybe it was just a, a mental thing or, or a confidence thing that, or maybe I was just naive and, and, and just thought, look, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter what, what surface, you know, I play on. I'm, you know, I'm, I always expected to, to do extremely well. And, and if, if, you know, always wanted to, to perform, you know, at a high level. So it wasn't really the surface. It was more my attitude, mm. I think, going into, um, onto the court, you know, day in and day out. Paul, you made 12 appearances in the Australian Davis Cup team with the record of eight and four. What did it mean to you to represent your country? Yeah, look, that was that was a great moment. Obviously, every Australian tennis player wants to, to play Davis Cup for Australia. And, and like I mentioned earlier, that was one of uh, Wayne and I's, and I, uh, that was one of our goals, was to, to, to play together at Davis Cup. So, yeah, it was great. Obviously, just for, not just for myself, but that's, that's the great thing about playing doubles. You know, you have someone else on the court with you and, and you get to share that experience with them as well. So... You know, it was a great moment for me, but also I hope it was a great moment uh, for Wayne as well. I think I was around 30, maybe, I think. I'm not, not sure. I was one of the oldest Australian players, I think, to, to sort of play my first Davis Cup. So that doesn't matter what age, as long as you get there. And, and, and that, 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 to me, was a big um, thing about my career, was, was just my persistence. I think I never gave up. And, and then to finally get that opportunity and, and you know, pour all the hard work in, and then to get that uh, that chance was was something special. Yeah, it's a crazy amount of determination there. It's very impressive. With the Davis Cup, if you don't mind me asking your opinion, yet, do you think the the doubles set up in the Davis Cup team has changed a little bit now? That obviously there's been in the past just strong doubles formations that have played regularly as doubles specialists on the tour, and now there's a lot more singles players playing doubles ties. Um, do you have any opinions about that at all? Look, I, I think, too, the, the singles guys are obviously playing more doubles, too, mm. over the last probably 10 years. So I think it's not so much about the, the doubles specialists. It's, it's really, you know, who you think is, is the best option to play. And also, there, there's also the, the part about, you know, Davis Cup, it used to be best of five sets. So, for instance, for Australia, you know, Leighton, I played a lot with Leighton Hewitt. And he was playing, sometimes had to play singles and doubles. 
So, you know, depending on also how, how sort of Leighton felt, you know, you need to keep, keep your best players, you know, obviously injury-free and, and fresh as well, I guess. So I think maybe that, that's another reason why maybe it has changed a little bit is, is because it's, I don't believe it's best of five sets anymore. So, you know, players who, who maybe were not playing uh, the doubles and sort of resting for the singles now can, can do both uh, a lot more. Talk to us about another man you shared some great success with, Kevin Ulyitz. You started your partnership with him in 2006 and you guys made the semifinals at the Australian Open in one of your first tournaments together and semifinals at the US Open that year and also the quarters at Wimbledon. And he won a Masters as well. So what clicked for you guys straight away and what worked so well for you to set yourselves apart from most of the other doubles teams on the circuit? Yeah, difficult time. Again, I had to make a decision. You know, Wayne was getting a little bit older and I knew Wayne was, was going to be soon retiring, um, you know, in a year or two. And, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit cutthroat with the, with the doubles. You, you want to make sure that you've got to obviously plan and look, look for the future. And, and Kevin and I were on good terms before we'd obviously... Um, played with each other. He also had a, another thing was, again, Brent Larkham, uh, my coach at the time, was no longer working with, with myself and Wayne. So that was also a big factor, was that, you know, for me to, to get my best out of myself was I needed a, a team around me. I needed to be pushed. That's, that's when I felt I, I did my best. And Kevin had a great coach in Miles McLaggen. And Miles was, was very keen to to want to work with myself and Kevin. And also the fact that we all lived in London too was, was also a big, um, a big plus for me. You know, we all live very close together um, around Wimbledon. And so um, that's also, I think, why we did so well was because, you know, while we played tournaments, we, we would then go back to London and then we would do training blocks together. So it wasn't like he would go somewhere, I would go somewhere else. And then we would just team up for the tournaments. It was, you know, we were constantly together all the time. Yeah, and pushing so deep in Grand Slam so frequently, um, you end up facing some of the goats of the sport. And you came up against the Bryan brothers uh, seven times in um, two-level finals. What, was there any rival, rivalry with these guys? And what did you notice about their game that was, was, was so good? Yeah, there were certainly rivals. We sort of, I grew up exactly the same time as the Bryans as they were coming up. So like you mentioned earlier about the, my biggest result early on was the French Open. And that was the year they, I think Wayne and I got to the semi-final. And that year the Bryans actually won that French Open. So they were coming up exactly the same time as, as I was you know, in my doubles career. And so obviously there was some, some, some rivalry there, particularly with, I would say, probably with, with Wayne. Um, we had a, had a few, uh, few moments with them and um, got them a couple of times too. I think we got them in Rome, which was, which was a big one, and we actually won that tournament. And, yeah, there were a few little incidents there with them. But, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's also what makes the sport so great is, is, you know, obviously off the court, it, it was fine. But once when we got on the court, you know, we were always wanting, wanting blood. On top of your, all your men's doubles success, you made two Grand Slam finals in the mixed doubles at Wimbledon in 05 and the Australian Open in 2011. Where do those two runs sit in your career highlights for you? Yeah, look, they're, 
it's it's unusual because uh, again I was a little bit I think naive. You know, I, I tended to play with with people in mix who I I wouldn't say I, I didn't care about it the mix, but um, you know for me the mix was was all about having fun and enjoying just not not the doubles wasn't either. Uh, maybe that's why I had a lot of success in the mixed doubles was because I was a little bit more carefree and just wanted to have a little bit of fun. So for me, it wasn't about picking necessarily the best player I could. A lot of the time, it was just to to go out and, and have a, and enjoy myself and and not be so uh, uptight, I, I guess. And yeah, I, I remember playing with uh, Tatiana Parabinas. That was that was a great uh, a great week for us. I think we were pretty, you know, we weren't seated and, and we bet a lot of good teams there. And yeah, I'll never forget playing uh, Mary Pierce. Um, I've never been so scared in my life. Um, you know, Tatiana didn't have the biggest serve in the world, and boy, did Mary Pierce uh, hit a few hard returns at me that that day. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been was, tuned was, a few times and mixed as well. <laughs> yeah, I was I was more worried about her return than than Mahesh Bhupati's return. Funny enough. <laughs> now, Paul, you've you've mentioned a whole bunch of awesome Aussies, Wayne Arthurs. You've mentioned Ben Eld as well, and also there's Peter Luchak who came through a similar journey as you. A little bit of a late, I guess, developer in terms of pushing right inside the top 100 of the games. And you won a gold medal in the Commonwealth Games. How was that for you guys? Yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. That, that was definitely up there. You know, Peter's such a, such a great guy. And, you know, we, we knew each other, obviously, again, because I grew up in Melbourne at a young age. I knew Peter even back then and his family. So, yeah, to be able to, to play with, with a guy like that was great. And, you know, not just for myself, but the entire team, really. That, that team was, I wouldn't say it was, was um, full of stars, but everyone just did so well. And I was so pleased for everyone on that tour. I think every single person received some type of medal in that Australian tennis team. So um, that's a great accomplishment. Now, Paul, one stat that stood out to me was the fact that you spent 13 years straight inside the top 100 in the men's doubles rankings. Now, that is mind-blowing. How proud of you of how much you achieved and the fact that you were so consistent for pretty much your entire doubles career? Yeah, look, it's, you know, I, I, I think, look, obviously I, I missed out on, on winning uh, a Grand Slam. That's something that, that obviously is probably is the only thing that's off my resume, but... You know, to have that consistency, like you said, it's something that I can look back on. And it was such a long, you know, a long career too, you know, being on the courts, traveling, you know, overseas and and something that really looking back, you know, if I was a young kid now and say, well, you know, I'm going to be playing all these tournaments. I'm going to, you know, be making a good living out of it. It's, um, it was pretty amazing. Something that, yeah, I'm sure I'm, I'm proud of. You mentioned you had a long career. How lucky do you feel you were? The fact that your body was so that it, you know, held up so well. You didn't suffer that many injuries. Do you think that came down to the fact that you were looking after yourself so well? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Like I said, I think I had good people around me. You know, when I when I lived in London, we had um, Damien Prasad at the time, uh, Justin White. So those guys, I think uh, Damien now works for, for Tennis Australia as, as a physical trainer. Uh, Justin White's in Sydney coaching. But I remember, yeah, doing like a, 
I had actually quite a bad uh, a twist. I twisted my ankle just before Wimbledon one year, and um, um, I remember Damien uh, worked really hard to, to try and get my ankle right, and and you know I was lucky enough to to be able to just sort of to participate and, and and play Wimbledon that year. But look, I think having the right people around you, and, and like you said, just just um, making the right decisions. You know, it's, uh, that and that might not be. Just on the court, that might be off the court, like you said, you know, with, with stretching, with uh, rehabilitation, looking after your body, icing, all those sorts of things. And, and I think I did those things, you know, I was professional, I, I think, uh, maybe, maybe too professional sometimes. <laughs> but um, again, that, that was my, I felt like I, I felt like I needed to be professional to, to get the best out of myself. And, and, and that's, that's what I did at a very, that's what I noticed, I think, when I was around, you know, 20, 21, 22, I realized that, um, you know, in order for me to try and take that next step, I had to be, to be willing to, to do more than, than anyone else, really, you know, because maybe I wasn't as, as talented or, you know, so I, uh, you know, and also I think I was a little bit lazy. So, like I said, I needed a team around me to, to push me and to, and to work me hard to get the best out of myself. Yeah, Paul, there's an extremely small percentage of people who've been able to achieve what you've done. Congratulations there. Um, since retiring, you've entered into the coaching landscape. Tell us a bit about your coaching setup right now. Yeah, so like you said, I, I, you know, I bought my father's tennis center. So, you know, something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to, to come home and, you know, back to, to where I grew up. So I grew up in Logan City and I'm very proud of that. And so I was always wanted to come back to Queensland in particular and, and to live, live up in Queensland. And, and I was lucky enough that my father was, was sort of wanted to get out of, out of the tennis. And so he offered me a great deal to, I was lucky enough to buy the, the tennis center off my dad. And so I run a little tennis center in, in Logan City. Then also I um, have a little school uh, on the Gold Coast at Southport as well. So, and I feel like, I feel I wanted to, 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 to go back into coaching. You know, I, I feel like I have a, a lot to offer, particularly, like you said, with, with having such a long career and, and understanding the sport probably better than most and what it takes to get there. So I feel I'm almost obliged to, to, to help people with that too, with their journey as well. What are some of your coaching philosophies that you use that you learned from your time on the tour? Persistence. I think uh, persistence, uh, working in particular with one coach in particular, I'm, I'm really a big believer in that. I know, you know, with my career, I, I had one coach from the age of 12 to 26, and that was Ken Ulrich. So, you know, he was more of my, I would say, my base and learning, learning the, the game and the technique. And then, um, I, like I said, I had to move on to, to Brent Larkham and, and move overseas. But I think just having a consistent message. You know, I see a lot of children these days, they sort of get coached by one person. They do a bit here, a bit there with someone else. And, and I think, you know, you need that consistency with tennis. You know, with that brings confidence, that brings belief. So, yeah, persistence and and just determination and, and like I said, just find someone who you believe in and, and just stay with them on that journey as long as you can. 
you know, you're going to have ups and downs. But, you know, I think, too, you've you got you to gotta believe in not only yourself, but also the team around you. Yeah, and just um, I'd love to ask you this next question as well is, I know you do some work with Callum Partigal and Dane Sweeney. And I guess as a coach, it's interesting because you wouldn't have been involved much in their development through their you know, younger teenage years or went from you know, 10 to 16, for example, and now helping them out um, post-teenage years. Is there a different approach to coaching? Because you're trying to really maximise what they've got there. Um, yeah, look, there is. And, and, and again, I think, um, like you said, um, nothing against the coaches that they had in the past. I'm sure they did a great job. But, you know, to me, Dane and Callum were... To me, they were searching. They, to me, they looked like they just weren't sure of, of a direction, I guess. Mm. To me, they were sort of just roaming. And, you know, if you roam in tennis, you're, you're not going anywhere. You have to be very specific and, you know, you have to be very specific, very detailed in, in where you're going and what you want to, to achieve and what you want to, to improve. And I felt like they really were a little bit lost. At, um, before I before I took over, they they weren't sure of of you know where their next step was, I guess. And so um, yeah, I th- I'd, I'd like to think that I've given them a little bit more uh, more direction in, in their in their tennis career at the moment. Paul, we've had some fan questions come through that we may move on to. The first one that's come through, someone said, if you had one piece of advice for a young player aspiring to go pro, what would it be? Don't give up. That's fantastic. That's, <laughs> that's so that's, simple. It's that simple. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, you know, there's so much information even today, you know, with, with Facebook and online and, and coaching and, you know, you go to tournaments, there's people talking to everybody. You just, you just got to be, you got to really just, just sort of separate all the noise because there's a lot of noise, you know, in tennis and outside of tennis, and and just be very clear on, on what you're trying to do, and and yeah, just just persistence. Don't you know, set that goal and just keep going. Like I said, just don't give up. And you know, I see that a lot at the moment. That's another thing I'm a little bit disappointed with is I see a lot of great kids who maybe aren't. Um, it's almost like they they maybe miss being in a squad or you know, um, you know, maybe they, they miss that chance or not selected. So, you know, they, or they don't get that funding or they don't get this. And then they sort of, obviously they're disappointed, but, but they almost drop. They, they, it's almost like they feel that they're not good enough. But yeah, I get annoyed with it because, you know, they've worked so hard to get where they are. And if they just realize, if they just keep going that extra step, another door may open. So um, that, that's one thing I, I would say is, is just don't give up. You know, there's so many different ways to, 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 to make it, to, to be a tennis player. There is, no, there is no one way to become a professional tennis player. There's so many different avenues that you can go to reach and still be a great tennis player. You know, like you mentioned, Peter Luxak went to college. You know, if, if you had asked me, you know, at 18 years old, would I think Peter Luxak was going to be you know, top 50 in the world and play Davis Cup and win a Commonwealth gold medalist, I would say you're dreaming. 
mm. you know, but, but it just goes to show you how if you're dedicated, if you're driven, um, there are so many different ways to make and become a tennis player. Geez, mate, I'll tell you what, after listening to that, I might even go out and rip into a long two-hour <laughs> session myself. <laughs> that, is, that is outrageous. That's so good. Love it. That's super inspiring. The next uh, fan question is, what is your top tip for executing the volley? Good footwork, no swing. So I, I feel like the best volleys in the world take as less swing as possible. So I see a lot of day, a lot of these days, a lot of guys taking two bigger swings on their volleys. And I think the, the best players or the best volleys in the world, if you watch them, they're very compact. So it's more about just their timing and their body weight into the volley. Well, we touched on this sort of slightly a little bit earlier, but this question's about all the court surfaces. How are you able to be so consistent on all the surfaces? And did that come down to your preparation? Growing up, like I said, I, I, I was on, on Descartes. I went overseas when I was 18 and, and played on as many surfaces as, as possible. And I think, it, I think it just takes time, you know, and I think you have to get comfortable with playing on, on serves. And I did that at a very young, young age. Like I said, you know, I went overseas. I, I played on clay for, for three or four years. You know, maybe at the start, I, I, I wasn't doing very well. But um, like I said, you, you, get, you get comfortable, um, you know, the more you, you play on a surface. So I think you just gotta, you got to just play on as, as many different surfaces as possible. You know, I think too, um, you know, on a, up in Queensland, I remember playing on synthetic grass, hard court, you know, even on like a sand court. I, I can't remember what that sand surface was, but... Yeah, you want, you want to try and experience, I guess, playing on all different surfaces as much as possible. And that will help. Paul, you've had an amazing career and obviously doing an unbelievable job in the coaching realm right now. If there was someone when you were growing up, they might have not realised all the achievements that you are going to achieve as well. But after speaking here to you today, we can get a little bit of insight into your experience and your process and your mindset. There's no secrets there. It's pretty clear why you've done so well. As you said before, um, for all the kids listening out there, is, is persistence seems to be one of the biggest keys. Congratulations. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the show. All thanks to Latua Tennis. Make sure to head over to latuatennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. We hope you enjoyed this great insight into Paul's journey, and we look forward to catching up with him again soon. Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of Aussies Only. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to the First Serve your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.